So Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 to 20. So the whole chapter uh, will be our passage today. A, a phrase that you probably have heard many times before, you don't know what you've got until it's gone. It's a bit cliche, uh, but it certainly is true. There's a reason why it's cliche, because it's so popular, because it's true. You don't know what you've got until it's gone. And often it takes something being stripped away from us. Uh, our job, the loss of a family member, our, our health, a, a cancer diagnosis, um, our security, someone breaks into our house or something happens and we no longer feel safe. It takes something being stripped away from us to actually then appreciate its significance. And the people of Israel that we have been looking at through the book of Deuteronomy had many things uh, stripped away from them. But when they had things stripped away from them, it wasn't specifically to make them realize how good they had it um, back in the land of Egypt. It was actually to make them realize that the only good that they needed was still present when everything else was stripped away. And that was Yahweh, their God. So he stripped away everything to show that he is enough. And the Israelites were supposed to learn in the wilderness that God is enough for them. And we, likewise, we have to have our own wilderness moments in our life. You may have had a number already. You may have had none. But I guarantee you will have some wilderness moment where things are stripped away from you and they will be there to make you rely upon God. So in chapter 8, as we look at the first few verses, Moses is reminding the people to learn these lessons in the wilderness before they settle down into the promised land. And in verses 1 and 2, uh, Moses says, the, the, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. Moses is specifically saying that God led the Israelites through 40 years in the wilderness to humble them, to test them so that their hearts would be revealed before God. And during this time of testing in the wilderness, God restricts almost all of their creature comforts that they had. Even in slavery in Egypt, they still had creature comforts. They had access to food and shelter. Uh, they still had some privileges uh, and God strips away what little they had. And in God restricting, so he restricts food from them. We read in verse 3, uh, he, he causes them to hunger and feeds them only with this strange thing called manna that they had never come across before, a sort of bread-like substance, a very thin bread-like substance. And they, he, he fed them with that so that they would know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. And in God doing this, in him restricting things that they thought they needed, he demonstrated 
that he is sufficient to provide because in verse 4, he says, even while I, I stripped away all of these things, your clothing did not wear out and your feet did not swell. These 40 years, I still sustained you. Even though they felt they had completely insufficient resources, God provided all their basic needs as he was sanctifying them in preparation. And as we read on in verses 7 to 10, this time of testing um, and God withholding things from them was to prepare them. It was to prepare them uh, for this land that he was bringing them into, this land full of abundance, flowing with milk and honey, this rich land. And all of this stripping back, taking away their creature comforts was to prepare them to then live in this land faithfully toward him. Because if the people are not taught to live by the total sufficiency of Yahweh in the wilderness, then they will most definitely not live by the total sufficiency of Yahweh when they have all of their creature comforts back. They will simply give themselves over to them and forget God. And the biggest test for our generation, the biggest test for us, is whether we can live in abundance and still live by the sufficiency of Christ. Whether we will still worship the giver of gifts over the gifts themselves. If you're, well, you're clearly in Australia, except for Song, our brother in Singapore. But if you're in the Western world, you live in an abundant land. You live in a a very good land, a land of affluence. And so this test is for us. Can we live in this abundant land and still live by the total sufficiency of God? As we look at the second half of this passage in verses 11 to 12, God warns them. Um, of this exact thing. God warns them of complacency. So in this section from verse 11, 20, he, he says, Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God, and lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, take care lest your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. He's saying, take care that when you have all of these prosperous things and you no longer feel your need for a helper, for a deliverer, take care lest you simply slip into complacency and live as though God is only relevant when you're in trouble. Do not treat me like the God who stays in your closet and when you have all these lovely things, this abundant life, I stay in the closet and then when you're going through a crisis, you bring me out and you, you call upon me. Don't you dare treat me like that. For us, take care lest you desire the freedoms of post-lockdown life more than you desire the freedom found in Christ. Take care lest you fill your lives with an abundance of possessions and experiences that you then become numb to your desperate need for a savior. This is very relevant for us today. We need to listen to these warnings because as I've said, in our affluent society, we are constantly in this danger of the kind of forgetfulness that God 
uh, warns the Israelites of, and as we read on through their story that we see in their lives, this constant forgetfulness. When everything is going right for them, they forget the Lord their God, even to the point where things are going wrong and they still don't call upon the Lord. They call upon idols and uh, all sorts of other things before God. We, we need this warning. Today, let's firstly take a closer look at why wilderness moments are necessary. So wilderness, the wilderness wanderings become the means by which God uses to purify his people before they enter into this abundant land. And we likewise need these wilderness moments. So let's firstly look at why we need them and then the fruit of these wilderness moments for us, the intended outcome that God wants to produce since he is not a God, not a capricious God who simply wants to strip things back from us and then laugh at us. It is for a purpose. He is a loving father who strips things back and in a sense hurts us, disciplines us in order to purify us and grow us and sustain us. Why are these wilderness moments necessary? Firstly, these wilderness moments for us reveal what is truly in our hearts. This is explicit in verse 2. The God tests them to know what was in their heart, whether they would keep his commandments or not. He strips things back, humbles them, so that our hearts would truly be revealed before him. It's very easy for us to have the appearance of faithfulness when things are going well. It's very easy for professing Christians to commit to a community of believers when there is basically zero cost to them. But what happens when you go into your own wilderness moment? What happens when God strips away these comforts in your life? Maybe the community that you've been brought into is not full of people you instantly gel with and you find yourself having to try and make relationships with people who, if you were on a schoolyard in primary school, you would avoid like the plague. Maybe your neighborhood or your living arrangements are a lot less affluent than you would like. I wonder what is revealed in your heart in those moments when things are stripped back from you, when control is stripped away from you. Where does your heart go to? Does it go towards bitterness, towards frustration? How do you respond in these times? Because these moments reveal what is in our hearts. And they particularly reveal what we treasure. Do we treasure our own comfort or do we treasure Christ? If you're only ever happy when your life is easy, when you have control, then where does your faith actually lie? Maybe it is not in Christ. Maybe it is in your ability to control your circumstances and create a flourishing lifestyle for yourself. And this is what God had to do to the Israelites. This is what he had to do. He had to strip away all of these comforts, actually causing them to go hungry in the wilderness, not knowing where they're going. He had to strip away things which they placed their trust in so that their trust would only be in the God who delivers them. Now, for us in this um, cultural moment, for us, a, a lockdown 
is is really a very first world problem. Like it seems like a stretch to kind of call this a big wilderness moment for us, but it is still a moment where things have been stripped away from us. Some comforts have been stripped away. Uh, we can't gather physically in person, and that's that's difficult. I don't. I would much prefer to be uh, physically with you all in this moment. So things have been stripped away, and I, I I wonder how you've reacted to this. I wonder how you've reacted. Have they revealed a bit of a bitterness in your heart that maybe you hadn't seen before? These moments of restriction and loss are moments to examine what genuinely lies in our hearts. Secondly, wilderness moments act as training ground. So after Moses explains that this testing and humbling was there to reveal what lay in the hearts of the people of Israel, he says in verse 5, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. Know that this is happening because as a father disciplines his son, the Lord your God is disciplining you. This is saying that God withheld food from them and led them for 40 years in the wilderness, about uh, 39 years and 11 months longer than they had to, to discipline them. It was fatherly discipline. And remember that the, the word discipline uh, has the idea of being a, a learner. It's the same uh, word group as, as a learner and a child. And you get that kind of idea where discipline is like, you see the picture of a child being taught things. So God ordained the wilderness wanderings and he ordains wilderness moments for us so that we would learn, so that they would be training ground for us. This is the theme of chapter 8. It's all about learning from the wilderness wanderings, learning about what God had done for them in those moments of restriction so that they would then live faithfully in the future under God's rule and reign in the promised land. Our own wilderness moments are there to teach us. And this is significant because it means that God is particularly present He's always present with us by his spirit, but he is particularly present in moments of restriction because it is his fatherly discipline that is shaping us and causing us to grow. God is particularly present when things are stripped back from us in very painful moments. One of the best tricks of the devil is to make us think that God is more distant when we are in seasons of depression, when we're in seasons of of wilderness moments, the, the devil will want you to think that God is more distant. But actually, from that, we know God is particularly present with us in those moments because he is using them to teach us. They are training ground. He is strengthening us, disciplining us. It is a wonderful truth. And I hope you hold dearly to this. It's a wonderful truth for the Christian that because our Father loves us and because He is sovereign over everything, then we can endure all situations, endure all suffering as discipline. They're not random acts of unfortunate circumstances. When someone very close to you dies, when you get dealt that terminal illness, whatever it is, 
the, the most difficult moments of our life because we know our Father is sovereign and because we know He cares for us and ordains situations to grow us, then we can endure these moments, not as random acts that we don't have any hope in, but actually as moments that will strengthen us, moments, light and momentary afflictions that he will work around for an eternal weight of glory. And that is why we do not lose heart. And so we need wilderness moments. We need these moments of discipline where God is very present in our lives. We need them in order to grow. And thirdly, wilderness moments remind us that Christ is sufficient. Without loss and struggle, we would never have opportunities to rely solely upon Christ for our strength. Uh, Very similar to what we went over a few weeks ago in 2 Corinthians 1, where Paul felt like he was faced with the sentence of death and Uh, He said, this happened. God ordained it so that we would not rely upon ourselves, but upon the God who raises the dead. We, We need these moments so that we would then realize that in those very moments, Christ is enough. God is enough. When God strips away everything in our life, it is so that we would be refined in a way that would bring us to that point where we can say Christ is enough. It is a beautiful thing if you have been through something so soul-crushing that you can then face every situation with this peculiar hope and positivity, for lack of a better word, because in that moment of you going through something so soul-crushing, You were not given over to death, but you were brought to the place where you realize that Christ is sufficient. Just as he in the Garden of Gethsemane was face down in the dirt, pleading that there is any other way than let this cup pass, but he didn't. He persevered. And so you know now that when you have your face in the dirt, struggling to get any ounce of motivation to continue, that in that moment, your Savior is upholding you and sustaining you because he is the perfect mediator. He knows exactly what it is like to feel anxious beyond uh, anything we have been through before. And he sustains us. Just like we were singing before in Christ alone, no fear of death, no guilt in life. This is the power of Christ in me. Isn't that a beautiful place to be? If you can genuinely sing with that song, no fear of death, no guilt in life. This is the power of Christ in me because he is sufficient. Therefore, I don't fear death. I don't fear these moments of suffering. Ultimately, yes, I may be driven to moments of fear. Yes, I may be driven to anxiety. But under undergirding that is this trust that Christ is sufficient. And those who do not know Christ do not have that comfort. Those in the world do not have that same comfort. And so when everything is stripped away, then there is nothing left. There's nothing supporting that. Just hopelessness. 
Whereas for the follower of Jesus, when everything is stripped away, the only thing remaining is the only one who matters. And that is Christ, the only one who will sustain us. Now, this is, uh, they are the parts of the purpose of wilderness wanderings. There are probably a few more that we could look at, but those are uh, the significant reasons for why we need wilderness moments. Now, what is the ultimate goal of these wilderness moments? What, what is God intending to produce within us by bringing us into these moments of our life where things are stripped away? The purpose of the wilderness wanderings for the Israelites and the purpose of wilderness moments for us is so that things would be stripped back in order for us to know true life, to know and to have true life. This is the main theme. In verse 1 from the start of this chapter, the whole commandment that I command you today, so all of God's instructions, everything we've gone over in the 10 words and all of the uh, instructions that God had handed down, all of this you should be careful to do so that you may live and multiply in this land. Verse 3, God withholds all of these things to show man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. If you remember, when we started Deuteronomy, we started with one of the very last chapters, Deuteronomy 30, where the, the summary of this whole book leads to this place in Deuteronomy 30, where God is saying um, to the people, you have before you the choice of life and the choice of death. If you follow me, that is life. If you don't, that's death. Choose life. This is all about what true life is. God strips back all things in our life which do not actually lead to true life so that we would turn to the only one who offers true life. Let's just take verse 3 as an example of that. The famous passage, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The purpose in God restricting things from us and teaching us to live by every word that comes from the mouth of God is not simply that we would just lose all of our comforts and then, you know, that we would be okay. You may have things stripped back from you and yet still not learn the lessons of the wilderness. And so in those moments where everything is stripped away from you, you just have this lingering sense and this bitterness that if you only had the comforts of bread again, then everything would be okay, rather than looking to the bread of life for sustenance. And this is also not saying that the point of life is that whenever we are faced with a dilemma, we just need to go to our Bible and we need to find the verse that most applies to this situation. We look at it and then we just follow what it says and, and do that. It's Though that may be true, this is going much deeper than that. This is calling us for a posture that recognizes God as the source of all life, breath and everything. It is calling us to behold to be so enraptured with this God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. It is calling us to be in a deep sense of communion with this God who holds life 
in the palm of his hand. So we don't find life in the words of this world. We don't find life in the words of great philosophers or motivational speakers. We find life in every word from God. We find life in the word by which the entire universe was created when we heard the words, let there be light. That's where we find life. We find life in the word by which, as the author of Hebrews said, the whole universe is now held together by the word of his power. We find life in the word which in the very beginning, before anything was, was with God and is God. That's where we find life. We find life in this word which condescended to the depths of humanity to dwell among us and give life and life abundantly. The word become flesh, Jesus Christ. That's where we find life. And we need wilderness moments in our life to come to this realization because there are too many things in this world which offer a simulated sense of life but that really have no life in them at all. They are life depriving. They suck true life out of us because they lead us further away from the one who holds true life in his hands. We live by the word who has become Flesh, which is life-giving. And this is the expected outcome of wilderness moments, that we would know where true life is. Not simply that everything would be stripped away, but that we would come to know where true life is. The posture that flows out of this is one, where whether you are brought to a place of abundance or in poverty, whether you live in Australia or the slums of India, you know where true life is. Whether you are in any of those situations, you have Christ who is your life and therefore you have enough. Whereas the alternative is if you are in wilderness or abundance, full of wealth, if you do not have a posture which longs to be in communion with this God, then you have nothing. You have nothing at all. And where this life is, obedience always follows. There is always a connection between life and obeying his commandments. This is why in verse 6, the result of God's restriction for the people of Israel is so that you keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. That is life, walking in step with the Spirit by obedience to this life-giving God. And, and if you embrace your wilderness moments, if you can embrace them, then you take them as a path, the path, which travels deeper into an abundance of life in Christ. And that is what wilderness moments do. Now, let me finish by talking a little bit about why this is so relevant for us. There are two overarching themes for why it's relevant for us. The first is due to our cultural setting and the, the second is due to our church setting. So briefly, the first one, just our cultural setting. I've already spoken about this. We, we live in an abundant land. We, we live uh, in um, one of the wealthiest countries in the world in the scheme of the globe. 
So for us, we live in the kind of location that God is describing here. When he says to the people of Israel, I'm bringing you into a land with brooks of water, fountains and springs. You know, in the context of the people in the wilderness, I don't know if anyone has ever been to the wilderness of Sinai, but there's not a lot of water around there, particularly in uh, the summer months. And so this idea of coming to a land where there's actually flowing water, that's very luxurious. Tell me if you've not had water over the last several years. We have abundant water. We have access to nourishment. God goes on to say, a land of wheat and barley, vines, fig trees and pomegranates. When have we ever not had food? Even as the government keeps trying to say in lockdown, hey, don't rush to the supermarkets. We've got enough food. Like we always have food. We have sufficient. We live in an abundant land. And it is in this place that God says to us, man does not live by bread alone. Man does not live by all of these things. This isn't life. It may be a part of my blessing to you, but if you haven't come to this point of realizing where true life is actually found, it's pointless for you. So in this sense, we are getting this warning while we're already settled in here. And we need to learn the lessons of the wilderness wandering so that we do not settle into this place of abundance and forget that God alone is our provider and sustainer. Now, This doesn't mean that we have to lose all of our possessions or neglect to be thankful for the place that we live. There is a place for being thankful that we are here in Australia. And clearly God is okay with his people having nice things because he's the one leading them into this land. He's the one leading them into this place, a land flowing with milk and honey. He just does not want his people then turning to these things in a way that would cause them to turn away from God. He wants them to be able to live with or without them. And that's a question that we should ask ourselves. Jesus highlights the danger of this in Luke 12 when he is asked by a man to arbitrate between he and his brother on how much inheritance they should get. And Jesus says, life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. That's not what true life is. You've missed the point. This is a superficial life full of fleeting comforts, which will leave you totally unprepared for the day when, as we read, and after Jesus gives the parable after this, for the day when God comes to you and says, you fool, today your soul will be demanded of you. That's a a confronting statement there. Life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. True life is where you seek your nourishment in the word become flesh. Now, the second and last aspect for why this is important is to do with um, the main reason why I I felt um, a need to preach through this, uh, this weekend and and also just going through the the book of Deuteronomy. And it is to do with, uh, well, there's two aspects of this. The first is that because we are about, well, Lord willing, coming out of lockdown in the next several weeks, maybe not next week, don't set your hearts on that, but probably in the coming months, things will start to gradually ease up. 
And there is a great risk for Christians uh, coming out of lockdown being more excited about the fact that we can hang out with more than five people than we are about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we know that God is sovereign, these times of restriction, and they are moments for us to examine our hearts, to actually use them as a wilderness moment to uh, recenter ourselves back on this life-giving God. Now, the main reason uh, for this passage here today is for us as a church plant. So uh, we um, moved over originally, the, the um, five of us or six of us, including Eliora, uh, originally from Adelaide. And since then, we've had um, others join. And uh, I would consider all of you here, even Song Brother, if you come over, please do. You, you, know, you're a part, you can be part of this community. But uh, for us um, who usually gather um, you are part of this body. You're not just a, a, um, a, a second-class member or some distant person. You're part of this community, part of this body. And we are still very much in a, in a, a church plant stage. We're in sort of a, a stage where we're forming a culture about us, like we're forming this community. And it's a very significant moment because there is something that church plants are particularly at risk of. And that is when church plants slip into maintenance mode. When often church plants invest a lot in advertising and attracting people, uh, and it becomes often more about sort of planting a service. The idea is very much on planting a Sunday service. This is where we meet. This is what time come and come to our service. And you end up with uh, sort of a lot of people coming to the service rather than being a, a fluid community. And so because you sort of grow so quickly and your growth is based on an exciting Sunday service, then you have to continuously invest time and energy in keeping that Sunday service what it was to keep consumers, to keep people coming. And you very easily slip into a sort of a maintenance mode it's just about going through the rhythms, setting up on a Sunday, packing down. Everything is sort of geared towards this kind of maintenance of that service, of the product you're delivering. And this has influenced a lot of counterfeit Christianity uh, of our day where you're sort of just part of a church. There is no transformation whatsoever inwardly no evidence of a particular longing for Christ and church very quickly just becomes a routine, something that you do. You go to church on a Sunday. We go to this place. I'm part of a community, but you know, you might never talk explicitly about Jesus to anyone ever outside of your Christian club. And that's a very dangerous place to be because you can slip into this maintenance mode where you just sort of come on a a Sunday and maybe midweek to sort of get your, your weekly shot. And then it bears no significance for the rest of your life. Now, for us, I don't know if we will uh, be a large church. In fact, I know that uh, this shouldn't be a surprise, but I would do all of I can, 
all I can under the sovereignty of God and by the grace of God to make sure that we, we would never actually grow to a large number, but we would be multiplying and sending people out and um, spreading out rather than building up. But apart from that, um, the warning is here for us as a small community, as much as any other big community. The warning is here for any Christian community in a time of being, where they are being shaped, where they are about to settle in, if you think of it in that way. And the warning here for us is to not settle in. The warning is here to not settle in. Don't settle in in a way that causes you to forget the Lord. Don't slip into that maintenance mode. Don't do it. Stay away from it. Do not forget what it actually is to be the church rather than buying into this idea of going to church. Don't forget what that is. You know, a a paraphrase of Deuteronomy 8 for us, for our context is, take care lest when you have a building you can go to, 50 extra people, a new coffee machine, some small groups tailored to your location and needs, Take care lest you forget the purpose of you gathering as my body, which is to exhort one another daily while it is called today in your pursuit of me and to be so fixated with me since I am the source of all life, breath and everything and to overflow out of that explosion of joy to then share with others. That is your purpose. Don't forget it. We cannot settle in in this dangerous way, we can't settle into this maintenance mode. There has to be a pursuit of spiritual growth in this community that prevents us from complacency. The kind of growth that Peter talks about in his second letter where he says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection. He's saying, Make every effort to add to these things. Add to your faith. Don't slip into maintenance. Don't just slip into complacency. Continue to add to these things. Steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection. This is what we should be concerned with. And Peter actually says, if you do this, you will confirm your calling and election. You can have assurance because you're growing. Not because you're doing this, but because the grace of God is doing this within you. And this will all come about as we have this posture where after everything is stripped away and we look only to the bread of life as the source of life and good. God's ordained plan for this is to strip back everything from our life which would cause us to settle in and become complacent as he brings us to our own wilderness moment. So treat this. This is my call to you. Uh, My exhortation to to you all uh, is to um, heed the words of God given to the Israelites now and don't settle in. If you consider yourself part of this community, don't settle into maintenance mode. Take this as a moment to reassess even how you view. Have you been too concerned with a Sunday service or have you been too concerned with uh, possessions, experiences, things which in your life God might need to strip away so that you would come to this place where you know true life 
is in Christ and Christ alone. And it is in the gathered community of God's people together that we come to understand this as we stir one another on. We need to learn the lessons from the wilderness wanderings. Examine what is in your heart when things are stripped back. We realize that these moments are training ground for our own sanctification. And we remember that this is to show us that Christ is sufficient. He is enough. And that is life. Imagine to have everything stripped away. No worldly success. Nothing that anyone else in the world would look upon as uh, praiseworthy. Materialistically at least. And still in that moment to be able to say Christ is enough. He is enough. He is my life. If I have him, I have sufficient. Take it or leave it. Let me pray. Father, please, please let this message sink in. And I need it. I I need it so much. I realize how prone I am to complacency. And so I trust that it is probably present in in all of us here. And I ask that you would please kick us in our complacency. And as a community, we plead for your grace to sustain us, to keep us coming back to you as a source of all life, to be aware of maintenance mode and to continue to be a fluid community who knows where, where true life is, who does not forget the Lord our God. Please uh, keep us abiding in you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.